It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 177. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Today is pretty exciting because we've had we've got our first interview in quite a long time. This is Krister Kaitila. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi, guys. Thanks, Jeff, Matt, uh, Raga. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Raga's here in spirit. Yes. Sometimes Raga, something, something. Oh, so, hey, sometimes he is. Look at Jeff. Well, Look sure. You. It means he can travel. In fact, he's sitting on my lap right now. I'm scratching his head. Aw, I just pictured that. It was adorable. <laughs> I wish that was a real thing. It could be. Get into the plushie market, you guys. Must improve Raga rendering time. Well, the we character have. design is so strong, right? That's what's Aww. so beautiful about it. It's that beautiful character himself. Make it a plushie. People will buy it, I promise. Thank you so much. That's so kind. We will, we will work on that. I'd <laughs> like to buy one of you. That's oh, right. oh. <laughs> okay, well. Seriously, sell me one. I, I'm selling plushies right now of myself, actually. They sort of, they sort of <laughs> look like a, the, the burly lumberjack version of myself. Oh, my. Nice. <laughs> Take my money. Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, you know what? The truth is I am a little bit of a burly lumberjack, just the small version of that, the small computer nerd version of that. It appears you have a beard to go with it, which is a appropriate lumberjack attire. Well, I've got, I've got the forest. Yeah, I've got the forest to go with it, right? I'm in Canada. I can walk in any direction and hit a forest in a minute. <laughs> of course, you know, I mean, I'm on the edge of a city. So if I go out my front door, I can like take a half hour walk to downtown. But I'm such a sort of a tree-hugging hippie that when I bought my first house, I wanted it to be right beside a forest. And so that's what I did. And so I can, I can be in a huge forest covered in pine needles and you know, filled with trees in about 30 seconds. Wow. Oh, I think you're an so urban good. lumberjack. Yeah, I totally, I totally am. And you know, I find <laughs> it's a wonderful way to be a total computer you know, programmer dude like you guys. And, you know, if I'm getting really frustrated with a bug or I'm just getting, you know, like just sick of a screen, I can instantly go ultra analog where I just feel like I'm in nature, nature, nature. It's not streets, no traffic. I don't have to cross any streets to get there, right? It's like right up my back oh, door. Yeah. It's such a treat being able to get to a forest without having to like drive there first to go for a hike. Oh, I know what you mean. I just like walking places. And sometimes you really do like you want to get away from screens because it feels like you go from, you know, your desktop computer with a screen and you take a break and you look at your phone with a screen or yeah. like you maybe go watch a movie with a giant screen and you're like, stop it. I need oh, yeah. trees. <laughs> well, once I get once I get in the forest, just like how people often do with a shower, suddenly you solve the bug because <laughs> you're in a completely different environment. You're not sort of banging your head on the wall, trying right. over and over and over and over and over. Debug log. I got here. Debug log. I got here. You're like, ah, right. So, exactly. So instead, it's like you go somewhere completely else. You have that hot bath or you have, you know, a walk in a forest or I, I can go down to the beach really quick and be in the ocean water. If I'm really pissed off, right, just, I'm going to jump in the goddamn ocean. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but suddenly you're in a totally different environment. And I find that's when I solve my problem. You know, it's, it's, sure. very, it's very sort of, it sounds very hippy dippy, but then I am kind of hippy dippy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but really just like changing modes completely and getting very analog suddenly makes it so that I solve problems maybe because I'm thinking, you know, from the right side of my brain versus the left side or whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, but it really helps coding as weird as it is. It does. I think that disconnect really helps you because when you don't have the ability to sit there and constantly bang against the problem, you know, you can't type a new variable, you can't change anything, you, you distance yourself from your project, 
you trigger that part of your brain that's working you know behind the scenes the part of your brain yeah. that lets you walk without thinking or lets that's you right. multitask without uh you know complaining too much yeah, that part of your brain is, is active all the time yeah. right you activate that and it's a uh, it's a really great part of your brain <laughs> does not compute i mean do you guys do you guys find the same like when you're when you're dealing with a horrible bug because also i mean isn't that 80 percent of programming right but, yes. but when you're getting like particularly frustrated and you realize, oh, darn, I've tried three different solutions. I've been at it for an hour and I'm no further ahead than I was an hour ago. Like, what do you do to suddenly go, I need to change channels in my, in my brain? Usually I just restart myself. <laughs> but then I lose all my RAM. And you're scared you're going to forget, right? You need a notebook. Yeah. Okay? You need one of those notebooks beside your bed for when you have the eureka moment and it's 4 a.m. Yeah, I was in the shower one time and I was drawing on my shower door to oh, in the fog. Yeah. Try to convince myself, you know, to help myself not forget, right? And I knew that, you know, the <laughs> drawing on that like foggy window thingy, it, it's going to go away. Like the water is going to ruin it, right? But the act of actually drawing it out might help it solidify in my mind so I don't forget. Yeah. That's I don't smart. know. Except wouldn't you say when we make software, it is all just fog and someday <gasps> someday it too will fade away. Oh, when Windows wow. 47 is out, HTML 12 <laughs> is only the thing that runs. You'll be like, "Oh, I remember that game I made. I think there's a YouTube video of it." <laughs> it's all ephemeral, isn't it? But uh, like fog in a shower stall, the code wow. of our lives. This podcast just got poetic. <laughs> well, that's what I aspire to. I'm a I'm a bad poet and a bad philosopher and a good coder and a, a, maybe a bad game dev. I don't know. That's debatable. But. Uh, <laughs> We're all but, bad game but that's But that's where, that's where I'm heading towards as I get to be an old fart, is the philosopher coder rather rather than the master coder. <laughs> <laughs> Your puny brains do not compare to the master. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, don't they say, you know, like the master has failed many more times than the uh, beginner? Uh, has so even I'm, tried. I'm getting to be an expert at something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I am an expert at segues. Tell us about how you grew up. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like... Like I'm, I'm 43, so I was, I grew up with like a coin-operated arcade across the street from my junior yeah. high school, right? So I was pumping Beautiful. quarters into Gauntlet Two and Pac-Man in 1943 and all the rest. Like, all, that's where all my lunch money went, and so the inspiration to people are making money at this. That means you can make a career out of this. So, I, so I started to dream about that super early when I was maybe about 13. I was practically serious then, and I so I started by learning, you know, basic on my. TRS-80, Coco 2, and, and and beyond into various IBM PCs and stuff, even in the pre-Windows era. And so I became, like in grade nine, I had an Elite Wears BBS. Ooh. <laughs> right? Oh, it was really popular. One line, you know, it was my own line in my little basement bedroom, and it was just running through like an IBM PC. We're talking like 4.77 megahertz, right? 640K, but um, 2400 baud modem filled with all the latest pirate games and people would phone from long distance because because i had all the greatest one day releases and you know it was busy for you know uh, 23 hours 59 minutes of the day um <laughs> and so you know i mean that was that was <clears throat> a few years ago and uh but but after that point i happened to be really lucky in that my dad ended up sort of selling some computer equipment one day to a client who happened to mention boy i wish we you know, I wish I knew somebody who knew how to program this software stuff. My dad said, oh, my, my son dabbles in it. And so I was lucky enough just sort of in the early grades of high school to get a little side gig working on this sort of entrepreneur's dream idea, BBS sort of community. Um, and, and it just was like, wow, I'm making, I'm making money programming in Turbo Pascal. This is the best <laughs> life ever. The rest of my friends are all flipping burgers, suckers. 
you know? Wow. And, and so, so it was it just, you know, that was, I didn't even deserve it. It was pure luck, right? It was that dad hands client over to son and it happens to work because I liked the work and he liked what, you know, and, and from there, I just always had client freelance side gigs for the next 30 years. And, um, you know, even when I was going to university, I got a little bachelor of science degree in computer science and psychology joint major. Uh, after high school but even while I was going to school I was just like you know make a hundred dollars here a hundred dollars there doing little computer stuff making websites doing you know <laughs> database stuff uh, visual basic little touchscreen kiosks yes touchscreens existed even back then um, for like a it's golf to, for a golf course for golfers to get their handicap from you know and it was it was just like it was a monitor with a special film on it, and of course it it was wasn't very reliable, but it, it emulated mouse clicks, and so it was just all done in Visual Basic. And so suddenly here I am, you know, a contractor, a freelancer doing software in whatever. Like anytime anybody ever called me, because it's not like I was getting rich. I, you know, you're, you're unemployed ninety percent of the time, and then you get this great gig for a few weeks, right? That's that's right. usually what freelancing feels like, especially when you you're really young and you have no responsibilities and you don't own any furniture and you don't care, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, Pete. Pizza and beer money. This is amazing. Oh my goodness! I made five hundred dollars this month. I'm getting rich, guys. You know, <laughs> but uh, but I loved it so much, and of course, it afforded me the the freedom of being able to work from home a little bit earlier than before the revolution of it being you know technically feasible for a lot of people to be able to do. So so I was I was lucky, right? That's 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 why I'm here because what happened is eventually more and more of my contracts started to resemble the previous contract. Right. That always is the way when your portfolio is a certain way, that's the sort of job offer you get next. And as I started to do more, I did these little 3D displays for uh, for Honeywell that just sort of it was just OpenGL one written in C and it would just move a cube around. And they had a little inertial sensor, much like you find in modern phones. Right. But back then it was a one hundred thousand dollar unit, you know, the size of like an Xbox. And um, but it was a little 3D displays. And then another company said, oh, you can do 3D stuff. Well, can you visualize uh, the boxes inside shipping containers and make it look all nice? We've got this algorithm that packs them optimized. Uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. So then suddenly I'm getting into graphics. And through there, eventually, you know, fast forward 10 years of doing lots of little gigs here and there, uh, just in my home office forever. Um, then finally, I got to the point where I was lucky enough to be able to only be making actual games. And they would be generally like little... You know, recently I did an HTML5 sort of edutainment. It's kind of like a tower defense game, but it's just internal, right, for their IT department. And it teaches them a bunch of stuff. And it's not even, it's just on their intranet. But that's the kind of client work contracting that I, sort of keeps me alive. It's like my day job. And then the fun, the game jamming, which is really where my real passion lies. These one game a month, you know, Lurum Dare. It's the game jams that I'm known for on Twitter because that's really that's 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 who McFunky Pants is, right? That's um, right. Essentially, yeah, yeah. My my freelance client work gigs, which are typically a little bit less sexy, you know, um, keep me alive like a day job. Although it's a very very similar day job, just a little bit less cool because I'm not making design decisions as much as clients are. But um, but that keeps me alive so that I can do these wonderful game jam games and not even worry about selling them afterwards. So yay, yay, yay me. I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm boasting, but I, I do mean to sound that I'm very grateful to, you know, I'm kind of feeling, I'm in a lucky place. When I was a human, networking meant something very different, but it was just as important. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think it's it's actually okay in a way because this is just people going, I know someone with an interest in something. And you can tell he's he can do it because he's got a portfolio with screenshots of past work, right? And so suddenly, yeah, that's where everything comes from is from personal connections and friendships, but also just like colleague kind of relationships of mutual respect. Um, if, if you're a nice guy and people tell other people, hey, this is a nice guy who's really good at that. You're looking for someone to hire? You should hire this guy. That, that's That's where all my business comes from. I'm not marketing and like cold emailing strangers on LinkedIn, you know, <laughs> it's all Skype calls. Honestly, all my money, yeah. if it wasn't for Skype, I would be completely poor. You know, it's from Skype talking to people just like you, you know, Jeff and Matt, like just talking to nice people really adds up over the long term, And that's why I've always really been like, I've just admired lost cast and your prolific nature of just reliably, what is it? 177 episodes or something. That's I mean, right. It, it's just on the nose. Like that is how to be successful in business. Keep on pumping out stuff that is that you where you're connecting with people and human beings start to like you more and more. And one of them happens mm. to have a business opportunity. And I bet in your forum right now, if you did a new post, hey guys, we need another side gig to support development of things. Does anybody have a side gig? You know, you'd get responses. Multiple. Responses. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> well, you well you could, but of course the danger, right, of doing too much client work is you end up burning yourself out uh, energy wise, and you're like, do I really want to take a break from programming to do programming? <laughs> and Actual personally, work? I find I, I find I often don't now, and I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm going for a hike. Forget it, man. I gotta get away from this computer. Maybe sometimes I want to get away from humans and write assembly for fun. Oh yeah, I want it to be part of the demo scene and like do everything in assembly language and optimize the hell out of everything. Do these, you know, ultra elite type of code stuff. And I aspired to it for a long time and I tried my hand at it. But nowadays, I'm just like you. I will happily buy a $50 asset on Unity Asset Store instead if it saves me 45 hours of work. Of course, you get into tech debt of tons of different ways of doing things when you have too many different people's work all pasted together um, from asset store stuff, but at least as sort of a rough copy, um, the, the, the better I've gotten at coding, the more lazy I've gotten at coding. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Humans are lazy. Man flesh is weak. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it was just a joke. It was, I, I was, it was just a tweet just a couple days before new year's four years ago when I'm talking with people about, you know, what should our new year's resolutions be? What are, what are we going to do to make ourselves better at what we aspire to be good at, you know? And we started talking about the metaphor of uh, sports training and how, you know, the world is filled with a legion of millions of dreamers who wish that they could score the winning touchdown at the Super Bowl. And maybe some of them naturally could. They could, you could just put them on the field today and maybe they do really, really, really well. And I think a lot of game devs hit the market that way, thinking that, all right, I'm gonna make a game. Yay, I made a game. Now, where's, where's that Super Bowl ring? Um, right. And, and you know what? Many of them are more talented than I am, even though I'm more experienced. And I'm not saying that you're guaranteed of success by keeping at something, but by regularly doing something like going to the gym every, you know, five days a week and, and lifting weights, you're going to get stronger. And so the same thing, I had this theory that if you could practice actually just making games quickly, and they're sort of throwaways, like a workout, like going to the gym, you don't need a medal every single time you go to the gym, it's not the championship, it's 10,000 workouts because you're getting ready for the championship. And to me anyways, and other people take it entirely differently and they're much more serious about what they put out for one game a month. But for me, they were meant to be like a sketchbook, like a workout log about, yes, I've jogged 
10 months in a row. Yes, I've made a game 10 months in a row. And usually what I would do is just join a, a weekend game jam once a month. So it's not like it takes enormous amounts of time or anything to pump out one game jam game a month. But um, it was always just meant to be something like that. And when people really loved the idea and I got, you know, oh my, I got a hundred likes on this. I should do something. I just, I bought the domain for 15 bucks and just put a shell page. Um, and I already had some PHP code for just Twitter login. And so I pretended that there was a user database, but it was really just like a, a, a file folder that, and it would download people's Twitter avatar icons using the Twitter API. I said, sign up early and you'll get a hundred free experience points. <laughs> but it was, but it was just a lie. All I did is I listed the, I just did a directory listing of those pictures and wrote a hundred XP in HTML beside them, you know, and people are like, Oh, I don't want to miss out in this early adopter hundred XP. And I'm like, Oh, I better build a website. <laughs> <laughs> this, this mythical hundred XP needs this, meaning. Well, it's, <laughs> it's experience points. Those things are really valuable. That's um, right. So, so, so I mean, like it just went from coins. there, you know, and because, you know, after a week there were very large numbers, I'm like, this is kind of fun. And also it's already more popular than any game I've ever made. <laughs> right. So, so the truth is one game a month is actually my best game. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a work of fiction and it's got <laughs> level ups and experience points and quests and it's totally just for fun. And people do it just for fun. <laughs> and some people level up and love to see their, their names on the high score list. Um, so it's actually my only truly successful video game. And I don't care if other people can debate all they want. Uh, I say it's a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, web so I'm game. a game developer. I'm a yeah, I'm a game developer. It's a web game like those, those old school massively multiplayer PHP text <laughs> database games, you know. And, uh, and that's, that's really all it is. But it's also just, um, I think it's also a way for me to force myself to be consistent in the same way that we were saying Lost Cast has been for you guys and the various other things you do where sort of putting a little bit of pressure on yourself to keep it up repeatedly over and over will have the cumulative effect of being able to get us a bit better at what we're trying to do, you know? And um, so it's also just like it forces me to write a little keynote speech once a month, just a little two minute audio file that's some philosophical little comment on game dev, but it just kind of keeps me putting stuff out there, right? And, it, you know, I, I have to do it every single month. Oh, it's the 31st. I better pick a theme again. And in a way, I think it's just a reminder. It's like that workout log. It's like your Fitbit beeping saying you haven't put in enough steps that day. I like that. I think that's really important for uh, for us too, because like you know the podcast. At some point, we decided to start doing it weekly, and if it wasn't for that, I honestly don't know if the podcast would still be going. You know, it's that yeah. churn, that constant like, because yeah. uh, the time's going to happen anyway. You know, the next week is going to come, and if you've got something planned for it, you will probably produce, and if not, yep. it's less likely that you will. Right? Yeah, you have to make it a habit, and one way to habit, make it a yeah. habit is to have like a time limit too. It can't be I'll do another one whenever. Because if I know myself, and probably a lot of average people, each one gets a little bit longer away from the from the next, and that's why there right. are so many blogs with twenty blog posts. You know, one a day for a week, one a week yeah. for a month, one a month for a year, and one a year for two years, and then they shut it down. You see that blog like post? That? Yeah, like the most recent post is always sorry, it's been ages since I've updated. I'll update it and soon. That's a sign. Yeah, yeah someone yeah. needs a that's, schedule. That's the death knell. That's the death bell ringing when somebody says it that. is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Death cries. You know, and so I've done that also to games that I'm making, where I find that alongside, you know, client work, which keeps me alive, game jams, which are like my workouts at the gym, my jogs, um, 
I've tried a few times to make big, beautiful games, but only a couple times, and they've blown up in my face as way too big. These productions that the deeper down the road I went, the more I realized, wait, this to-do list, extrapolating from my current progress, would take me 125 years. <laughs> I'm not joking or exaggerating. No, I'm not exaggerating even. <laughs> like this, this, this heart-wrenching realization that it's like, I have, the, I have it in my mind. And I can see, I've been working on it. Oh my God, I've been working on it for 10 months, you know? Yes. And it's like, okay, I need another 1,500 months, you know? Like, so, so in the end, um, these small game jam games, thank goodness, they're like little paintings. They, you're forced to at least tie a bow on something and put it up and you have a screenshot and you did something that's tangible. You can hold it in your hand, people can play it. It's got a title screen, a middle, an end. And it's like, okay, it might not be a masterwork and it certainly isn't making me rich but it helps with an ego payment in a way. A pat on the back is sometimes enough, right? To, to have entertained a few friends who said, hey, that's kind of cool, man. You know, maybe, especially if it's not, you know, a Herculean effort that took you 100,000 hours, you're like, hey, I feel good about making that. I'm proud of that. And I'm not proud of my three or four canceled gigantic game projects that sit on my hard drive, haunt me and haunt my dreams when I'm lying in bed thinking, what the hell am I doing with my life, you know? So I don't know if I'm making the right decision, but maybe I've just been going for the easy gratification of gold star for, for showing up to work out, right? But uh, I really don't know if it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure it's actually guaranteeing my chance of getting to the Super Bowl to throw that, to, you know, the big touchdown pass. So, so I don't know, it's, it's just one way of doing things. Um, and, I, and it's so fun along the way that that's kind of okay, even if it doesn't really bring me anywhere closer to any of the bigger dreams. It, I love it just each month, you know? That's enough. So I'd like to hear about the theming around one game a month. So this is something where, uh, like, is it randomly done where you pick, uh, this is a theme everyone needs to adhere to, and, like, how do you convey that to the people who want to participate? Yeah, it's it's something just added to give people ideas, and it's not mandatory. So it's a 100% it's a optional theme word, which means... If you're submitting a game to one game a month, one month, and you just want to get 250 extra experience points, it's a little extra achievement, and the, your game can be vaguely um, inspired by the word in any way you like. And it's really just for fun. It also gives me the, you know, the reason to update the site once a month by adding one new achievement, one little icon and an extra, re an extra way to get more experience points so that users are never uh, in a situation where they're like, oh, I've got all the achievements, I'm never going to play this game again. Because like we were saying, one game a month is a video game, right? And so, so, you know, you need that new content, the support of, oh, a new map pack. So it's really just DLC. It's free DLC. That's what it is. And, uh, and I, I just pick them arbitrarily for the fun of it. And usually is something that I've been thinking about personally lately, because I'm you know, I mean, I, I, you know, like we said earlier, I'm a bit of a tree-hugging hippie. I like to go for hikes in the forest and think about the bigger picture of software development, non-ironically, like for real, you know. And and so a lot of times, maybe I'm just like chatting with my wife late at night about, you know, coding and, uh, you know, whether or not I really want to be a hardcore coder when I'm 75 or whether I'd like to start to transition towards being a bit of a more of a flaky artist. Um, and, and I think <laughs> that's sort of a leading statement. You can guess where I'm going. But, um, 
mm-hmm. but but so so what I do every month is I like to see what other people uh, have to say on the issue as well, and so I chat about it on Twitter in the lead up to the to the transition to a new month on one game a month, and sometimes I'll ask people for suggestions or whatever, and just whatever I happen to like. Luckily, it's uh, there's there's no board of uh, directors here, so I can just like decide on a theme, and um, you know this month, just for the heck of it, we were talking about how I often find that when I when I touch a keyboard, I feel like I'm at work. You know, I'm, I'm getting mm. stuff done and I'm working and I'm getting, I'm, I'm earning money and it's work. And so sometimes it's hard for me to unwind on PC gaming in the same way that if I touch a couch and a game pad, suddenly I'm definitely, yeah. I'm definitely at play. I am not at work. You know, I'm sitting, yeah. I'm sitting on a couch with a cold beverage and life is great and I'm holding on to a game controller. And so for me personally, that's starting to be more and more where I prefer to game because I just want to leave the environment of my ultra product productive working office and go to the recreation room, right? The rec room, the couch. And so, so this month's theme was couch. And it was really just for fun. You know, if somebody makes a game, in, it, could, it could be any number of things to do with a couch, whether it's a, a makeout simulator between a babysitter and boyfriend or, <laughs> you know, or a board game simulator or just a way to make pillow forts. Um, or it could just be like bouncing around on a couch or it could be something completely else, right? It could be the sad story of a bird nest in a dumpster couch, you know, outside in an alley. Um, mm. But it's but it's just an optional theme. And uh Every once in a while, you know, in previous months, sometimes I get into really heavy stuff. Um, the, pre- the previous month, the theme was raison d'être, you know, your, your reason to exist. Um, the thing you wow. love so much that it gets you out of bed in the morning. And, and it's just because, you know, recently I've been touched by talk of suicide in people that I know. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a real serious month because these keynote speeches that I do once a month at onegameamonth.com are sort of a way for me to uh, do a little fun philosophizing and also just sort of empty my head of what I've just recently been mulling over sort of for fun. But I like to, I don't, I don't like it to be too serious most of the time. And I'd rather just be silly and lighthearted. And so, so yeah, you know, 40, what if I've done 42 months in a row, I, I, I aspire to be 177 like Lost Cast, I think someday. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it's a great little habit to have gotten into and sit for fun. I like that that it comes with the a um, little bit of sadness in there, you know, a little bit of real life mixed in yeah. with uh, oh, you know yeah. something fun like couch. I like to see that, and I really appreciate too that it comes from a uh, a personal place um, because I think that a lot of the other contests like Ludum Dare, it'll be you know a random list and then it might be um, kind of democratic. You know, people can vote, like the community gets to decide. It's supposed uh, to be cool. Everyone wants something cool. You know. Yeah, but I like that uh, that it's kind of hand curated uh, by yourself. I think that adds a uh, you know a level of personality to it. Yeah, and also you're allowed to do other game jams that month and submit the same game to one game a month, right? There's no exclusivity mm. here. It, you're, nice. So it's it's really actually more like a game jam enthusiasts club, and it'd be like various people are like, oh, I'm joining the ILU, the I Love You Jam, which is going on right now, <laughs> which I love, right? There's a, you know, there's an I Love You Jam happening. And uh, so I'm like, well, that mixes with couch just fine, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so, so yeah, so join other game jams and then just like cross post the game over on one game a month just for the sake that you'll get a few hundred experience points. Those magical experience, you might level up. Ooh. Why not? And it's, and yes. it's so, totally free with no ads. You know, I don't do I don't do one game a month for any sort of commercial reason. This is more like 
Would you like to join me in this very fun hobby of joining game jams all the time? <laughs> Most of you do anyway, so yeah, let's let's post them here, you know. And it's a that's that's really all it is, you know. It's a scoreboard, or it's like when you're in grade one and your teacher has this little board on the side of the classroom wall with gold stars, little stickers. Oh, you can see Christer's been a good boy this month. Look, he's got five gold stars. So so <laughs> yeah. if you want gold stars, I got an infinite supply. They're free. They cost me nothing to make, and uh, and I'm handing them out. But you got to earn I used to get gold it. stars when I would uh, practice piano. Yeah. That would be when I would earn them. So I would be like, I don't want to play piano today. But then I would just do it because I'm like, yay, gold star. Yeah. You know, happy little kid. So That's right. And the teacher turns, that's a bronze star, you little punk. Surprisingly effective. Yeah. <laughs> really, really engaging. Pulls you in. But uh, yeah, I mean, I used to have a teacher in grade five who would choose one student maybe once every two weeks and make a big like presentation of like a little award, a warm fuzzy she called it, you know, Mrs. Jones <laughs> would write this little thing. There'd be like a little drawing of an animal. And I could be like, you did something nice last week. And I tell you back then, especially right when you're, you know, nine years old or something, um, it had a huge effect on everyone. And it was just all so it worked. It changed behaviors. You know, you were, <laughs> you shared really well yesterday. It's you, probably the kid that didn't share well the previous week, you know, but yeah. um but yeah, you know, like like people have been saying now for years to the point where it's kind of become established is this gamification or gamification, um, this tokenization of behaviors by imaginary gifts and awards and trophies and three stars and what have you. It really does work. And so you can you can use it for a lot of good. You know, I think I'd like to see more of that done in school, not less, even though I understand the debates where it starts to sort of turn everything into a big pat on the head even when oh wow yeah yeah you had a shower this morning good you get a gold star you know mm. but um but hey if you handed out gold stars for showers like computer conventions would definitely change you know it's like it, <laughs> for the better yeah it, as trivial as it is as a silly and fake and not real as a as a gamification or, or gamification token you know an award an achievement in video games people do truly love them it's that hunter gather mentality of like ooh a shiny rock on the beach. I'm going to pick it up, you know? A berry. It's a berry on a bush, perhaps. And we like to hoard them, even when we don't need them, because they're kind of pretty, yes. they're kind of shiny. They're these little baubles, little gems, little stars, little gold coins. How many crates a number have you smashed? Yeah. How many crates have you yeah. smashed just for another 12 gold pixels? You know? And I know I've done it about 100 billion times and loved every single one a little bit. It's very strange. Oh, yeah. And so the same thing. You do that for your behaviors and even though you know it's it's like the placebo effect you know even if you know that they're not real and you can't cash them in to buy a new car um you still do value them they do feel kind of nice and so that's that's why i think making a scoreboard for anything you aspire to be better at actually works i agree yeah and i think that there's a place in the world for you know things that are like you know you have got a gold star for participation just as there's a place for things that are you know this is a true test of skill and it's completely objective and there's one winner etc you know, it's kind of like you were talking about earlier with Fitbit, right? Like uh, having those metrics and having those awards and badges helps you train yourself uh, in the behavior that you want, right? Whether it's working out more or making more games or whatever. Yeah, putting in uh, 10,000 more steps that day. And, you know, I think even before the last couple of decades when you've seen a lot more of these little imaginary numbers and numbers of likes and numbers of views and whatever and favorite stars... Um, people needed a number even way back in the old-fashioned era when everything was black and white and people had to talk on wired phones where um like the number on your scale 
you know, or your high score or your best time. And it's kind of been that way probably forever. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if back up, you know, 10 million years ago, somebody's like, yes, but look at all the skulls I've amassed of hunting kills this year. Right. You can see, look, look who in this town is doing really, really well at, at uh, getting caribou. Well, it's, it's so-and-so. Look at, all the, look at all the caribou antlers that he's got there in his backyard, proving that, yes, he's the best hunter. It's not, is it about showing off how many you have, or is it actually just the pleasure of adding one more to the pile? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I'm sure it's different motivations for different people, but yeah. um, I think it's legitimate either way. Yeah, I don't like to totally. compare size of pile that much because because the numbers are so imaginary. Um, I mean, imagine saying so-and-so says more important things because they have more followers in whatever social network you're comparing. Um, I think a lot of times noisiness is rewarded if you uh, compare the number from one to another. And that's why in one game a month, I'm kind of hesitant. and I, I don't really love the idea of a high scoreboard, but other people, it's really, really important to them. And anytime I've ever tried taking it down or not having it, um, the outcry goes forth. So to some people, you know, it's the, the, the quantity, they want to measure it up against other people's quantity and have a higher number, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for me, it's more like putting one more coin in that treasure chest, that, that sound, when you pick up a ring in Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever, I, I love that enough. Yeah. I don't know if I'm really comparing my high score with like some dude six months ago who played Sonic. No, no, no. I'm actually just like, ring, 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 yeah, ring, 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 yeah. Um, that's enough. <laughs> Maybe it's just the sound. That's what I need for that website. I need like, mm. like pinball style Sonic the Hedgehog or like Mario coin sounds for when things are happening. And I, I bet suddenly twice, twice as many games will get submitted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you get like a little jingle whenever you submit a game. Oh, and when you level up, it would be like at the end of various, you know, old school video games where there's a little count up. Brrr, ding, 10,000 points. Brrr, ding. Particles everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's it. I need to juice it or lose it, right? That's it. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yep. Okay. I'm adding, I'm adding particles and sound effects next month. Why <laughs> awesome. haven't I thought about this? Because it's so true. Now that we've established that One Game a Month is actually just my only popular video game. Why don't I just embrace that? It, I'm it putting it on juice. Steam. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you could put stuff on Steam for free. You know, yeah. it could just be a. You could wrap it up in Node WebKit or something. Oh, and, and then all the achievements. That's the, the achievements. Oh, people would love. Oh, would Steam achievements. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. do love their Steam yeah. achievements. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. Mm. So you're onto something there. I, you know, it really could be. It's like it's so funny. It sounds like a joke, and it's kind of true. <laughs> Some of the best <laughs> projects come out of jokes. I think. Don't they? And I think it's because start a joke that is way. In, inherently shareable, and it also has mm. an immediate punchline reaction of people's eyebrows raising and they're thinking about it and they process it in their head like oh and that punctuation at the end of a joke is what makes it easier to remember than just a boring statement that was inconsequential Mm. so maybe you know kind of slightly funny things um actually do end up becoming more memorable just because it sort of adds a spike of uh of endorphins in your head at just the right time you know I absolutely believe that. I think it's the same kind of stuff we go through when we're trying to think about like one-liner descriptions for our games. You know, it's not a joke, but it needs to have a lot of the same properties, right? It needs to oh, be a little wordplay, a little pun or wordplay works yeah. wonders yeah, on me. Yeah, a hook. I love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and even just the alliteration of it all, and it just has to be this little sort of punchy something. And it, you know, it might be better described by something more mundane. To like, if you just wanted to describe the game literally, and of course there'd be some people that that's all they want you to do, but to actually sell your game, yeah, you give them a little bit of pizzazz. Like they say, sell the sizzle, not the meat. Mm, your game is right. the meat, right? <laughs> what you're selling is the sizzle, the crispy, <laughs> yes, mm. the umami. 
and uh, the, the umami of your game. You know that term, Japanese term for sort of indefinable flavor yumminess that usually kind of meat adds to a dish or whatever. It's some mm. some people say it's like a you know typically classically there are only what five different tastes you know salty sour da 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 da. There's there's umami as well, and that's just what's added by that little extra something, that little extra sizzle, and that's all you really have time for in a you know one sentence blurb on Steam or on Twitter or even just as like the title of a YouTube video, because most people rarely click read more anymore, right? They only see the first that's line. Weird. They only see the first line. So it's got to be just this little play on words or this little five words of sizzle, not describing just literally the thing, you know? Yeah, I see that all the time where it'll be, it's a side-scrolling action platformer set in a sci-fi universe. No sizzle, yeah, right? No, You're describing yeah. the meat. Like that's, that's what yeah. you will occupy your time for the next 40 hours or whatever if you buy the game, yeah. but it's not but, what's going to sell But all you actually you. have time to say is, you know, decapitate aliens, dumbass. <laughs> that would sell, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's the same game. but, but Big <laughs> guns, stuff explodes. Yeah, done, yeah. done. And, and, you know, as so instead of like sticking our noses up to that as sort of PR speak or what have you, you have to realize it's also part of having like a, a light-hearted atmosphere that is engaging to people because they want to go there, you know? And if it's just like a, a boring-ass description, it's just like it's not inviting, but if it's like, hey, fun time's over here, you know? Pe- yeah. People, people want to check it out. They want it to be fun. Yeah, for sure. I saw that uh, some painting, uh, some artist I follow recently was talking about painting, especially ones of like landscapes. And it was... Uh, the the thought was i want to want to go there basically yeah. and if they if you see a painting and you're like yeah it's it's of a beach or something but like i don't really want to go there like there's something about it that doesn't pull you in yeah. whereas you see some other pictures and you see it and there's like some light coming in focusing you know the visuals in the center of the image you're like oh i just i just want to walk into that painting you know and if it doesn't have that then it doesn't have that pull right and i think that games can have that same kind of a thing it needs to have that kind of atmosphere yep. you know and something to tantalize you to want to you know, we want to make you hit that buy button or at least just play it and go into that world for a little while. I want you know? to go to there. I want to go to there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, and that's, that's very true, actually. And I think the science of the screenshot is something that I'd love to see more people writing about and talking about mm. because I know I have a lot more to learn, but I'm also like, you notice commonalities in games that have successful uh, sort of marketing materials uh, they've 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 selected screenshots that can pop both when it's a teeny tiny little thumbnail it's only 100 pixels wide or whatever so there's got to be sort of maybe two distinct colors showing or some interesting shape that on a macroscopic level you can see even when you don't see detail but also exactly what you're describing is that that come here leading the eye lines and colors that somehow make you want to go there and of course you've maybe have seen mention of it um, over the last maybe year or so where Somebody uh, put together an image of a whole bunch of very successful Kickstarter campaigns for indie games and noted that they all had a campfire on them. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Okay, so, so it's that glow It's that glow of the campfire because think about it. A campfire evokes images of adventure. You're, you're going camping. You're, maybe you're in the forest. There's a little bit of danger, right? You're not, in your, mm. you're not in your house, same as everyone else's house. And also friendship. Whenever you're around the campfire, you're having a good time, right? You're having, you're, you know, you're cooking marshmallows with your friends and telling ghost stories or singing songs or even just drinking beer, you know? But it's that, yep. but immediately, you know, a campfire with adventurers clustered around it is just, I want to go to there. I really do. Yeah. And whenever I see it, I truly want to go to there. So, so I think from now on, really what we need is, is to exclusively focus on campfire-based marketing materials. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I think it would work like for a while, for, a, for only for a while. We, maybe we shouldn't be telling anyone. That's true. But uh, oh, we should, no, it's it's ruined now. There's going to be a hundred games come out tomorrow that all have campfires. That's and okay. The, the more the merrier. Screens. The more the hey. merrier. That's what I always say about <laughs> maybe. game competition. Share share your ideas because in the end, uh, you'll get as many ba- shared right back to you. So. Hmm. Maybe there should be a one game a month theme for a campfire. That's it. That's next month. Thank you guys. Oh, done. Wow. <laughs> it's early in the done month too. Done. You know, it, it would be so fun. I mean, imagine a game jam that's only about games that center around a campfire. I think not only would people love to join it, but I would love to go to there and play those games. Wouldn't you? Like, it just sounds engaging. I would. So, guys, is there? This is the biggest question, of course, and it's very, very important to your future success. Is there a campfire early in a wizard's lizard soul thief? No. And there's so, when are you going now. to? Yeah, when are you going to implement it? And why is it on the front cover of your game, like on the title screen? Try it. That is kind of a you're going to get rich. Hard I know it because the whole game takes place inside of a house. Oh, uh, I, I guess except the for the down. courtyard. The courtyard's outside, yeah. uh, but you know there could be other things. Um, the, hearth, the equivalent uh, uh, of that, like fireplace, a, a fireplace. You know, the, yeah, the a fireplace in the house. Oh, and of Maybe course, how day. Yeah, I mean, like Raga can probably start the fire, right? Oh, yeah. sure. We should have a, a fireplace fire or something in Raga's room. Yeah, mm, I think you're right. Yeah, he wakes Ooh, up in the morning, nice. gets out of bed, whoo, turns it on, makes breakfast. <laughs> Crackling fire sound. I like it. Yeah, Ship look at all this progress we've made <laughs> in like just this conversation. Yeah, we figured go. out all of our marketing woes. There you go. Well, I'll, I'll be <laughs> sending you my invoice tomorrow. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> your finder's fee <laughs> zero dollars, but I need all your love. Yeah, right. So something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, we've talked about one game a month, and we talked about little game jams. Um, you were for a while working on a game called Familiars Guild, yeah. on, and you were posting about it on Twitter. And uh, why don't you? Tell us a little bit about that project. Well, Familiars Guild is my white whale. And it's the project that I've been sketching little ideas about in various notebooks for probably 20 years. And I've actually stopped and started making a game like that a few times in my life. And it's probably because it just happens to be the sort of game that I like nowadays, which is just relaxing, sort of turn-based strategy. I've really been into like the XCOM-style um Final Fantasy tactics inspired sort of stuff. And of late, I think Mm. we've seen a lot more of that just recently as people extend the formula of roguelikes to sort of bring in some old school JRPG, you know, SRPG style uh, to stuff. And although I have an engine for it, I abandoned the project about a year ago because uh, to bring it to the level that I wanted it to, to be, which is what I thought to be a commercially viable sort of RPG, which is what I dream of making. Well, you know, it's kind of unrealistic for a person like me to aspire to make an RPG, which um, the way I have it imagined in my head has a lot of places to visit and people to talk to. And that sort of content treadmill um, quantity style development, I realized, was very naive of me. And even though it was a lot of fun to work on, all I have is like a, a tech demo where you can fight some battles inside a tavern, but there's no... There's no real game. And after a while, I I realized that I was walking down the same path I've done several times with really large projects, which is, okay, you know, I've been working on this on the side an hour a day for about a year. Um, And I'm nowhere near, I'm not even, I'm not even at 10%. And so I'm like, well, am I going to spend 10 years on this? Mm, (laughs) No, I kind of want it to be done by now. You know? (laughs) And, but that's okay, because it's sort of the humble realization that 
even though, I mean, I've, I've written over a hundred pieces of software. I'm old, right? Um, and I've had lots and lots of successes. I've also had lots of failures. And the common theme in almost all of my most heart-wrenching failures, and I'm not bitter about it because I've, I've had lots of great things happen to me too in the software field, um, is that I often am overly optimistic, like probably all devs really. Um, mm. Even when people tell you, you know, take the amount of hours you think it'll be and multiply it by two, um, with me, it seems to be more like maybe 20. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so sadly, even after all these years, when I'm diving down into a project that I really, really, really want to do just for the pure, like, you know, it's, it's me, um, I find that I quickly start running down the path of making this grand engine with inventory and quests and all the rest. Um, and all I'm left with is an engine and not a game. Maybe I'm just too much of a programmer and not enough of an artist. But I've made a lot of engines without games that nobody can really play because they're more like tech demos. And so nowadays, what I try to do, and what I've been trying to do now for a year since I stopped doing that, I never stopped joining game jams, but looking forward you know, to where do I want to be when I'm 50, um, I don't think the pursuit of a giant game is a wise choice for me. And so from now on, I only make small games. And I probably just make them all freeware. And I'll let my, my day job, my side gigs that are paid for by clients be where I have to worry about. I want, I want to let someone else do the marketing. I hate marketing. Mm. Oh, I yeah. hate marketing. I hate selling. I don't want to deal with stores or banks or, or anything like that. Um, in the end, I only, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 43-year-old dad who's spending a lot more time doing the other things in life than than game dev and so when I do it I'm, it's such a pleasure and I love it so much but it might be like an hour a day and so it's better for me to make something that's intrinsically enjoyable along the way um, where I'm rewarded for my efforts immediately and it's not a do or die shoot for the moon if you don't get there what a huge failure now it's something that I still think about and wonder if I've made the right decision so don't, don't get me wrong I'm not sure of myself right and, uh, <laughs> and, it's, and it's different for every person but um, I don't think it a wise business decision for me to try to make a big game and then try to sell it and, and hope to make hundreds of thousands of dollars profit, which would be what's required to pay for the time that I'm not making that money on client work, you know? Right. And so for, yeah, I think you know, that uh, you hit the nail on the head. The money's head easier like, oh. in client work, way easier. And then when you're done, you literally walk away. You don't market it. You don't care if it sells it could be a huge flop. It's almost better because then you know they're never going to come back for any support stuff. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, thanks for the money. Good luck. I want you to succeed. I truly, truly do. And, and you know, like I give, I give projects my, my best in terms of like an earnest desire to make it the best and most sellable as it can be. But it's, it really frees you from 99% of the stress of game development if somebody else is worrying about whether it sells or doesn't. <laughs> And, but uh, if you never hear about that project again, you probably wouldn't be really upset. No, but you know, I mean, there are other um, there are other benefits that I'm missing out in. And one thing is that if I work on a project that wasn't a success, and I've done that lots of times, probably more times than projects that were successes, to be humbly realistic. But I think that's normal for software. Um, is is that especially games? Yeah, especially games. Is that you don't get that wonderful ego boost of fans sending you fan art and telling you that they love you their work especially because i've been involved in a whole lot of dot-com bubble startup era 
uh, stuff. It's, it's the same every 10 years. It's just another word for it. But what it is is people with a bunch of money and a dream, and then they build something, and then 99% it flops. And that's okay. Like, that's, that's normal. That's what business actually is. Um, and that's, that's the movie publishers and publishers of all kinds bank on that, and they're hoping for one hit to, uh, to offset the costs of the 10 that uh, were run at a loss. And that's okay. But when you work on a project like that, suddenly you've invested a year of your life. You've gotten paid, sure, um, but I've been involved in tons of projects that actually were never released at all. And like, they're, you know, they were happy with my work. They're like, yeah, well, that was great so far. The text demo is coming along great. Here's your check. Um, but our investors have decided to build something else. So thanks very much. I'm like, but, and they're like, what's wrong? You got paid. I'm like, I don't care about the damn money, right? This is, I, I mean, I kind of do. I, I'd rather the money, I guess, than the adoration of, of players. But it's very disheartening to work on something and, and truly try your best on something. And then zero people play it ever. Yeah. And I've been, mm. I've been through that too. And, you know, I mean, you know, loving wife looks at me and says, well, here we are eating food and we sure had a good time here. And, you know, <laughs> thank you very much for making that game. You know, but, um, but that, that's the one danger, or I guess the second danger of uh, freelance client work. So I'm not saying it's all a wonderful way to live your life. Um, you know, you can get money, and, but what you end up doing is building other people's dreams. And like all dreams, even with everyone on every side of the arrangement earnestly working and doing their best. No one's screwing anyone. Um, most business ideas don't pull a profit in the end. That's the norm. That's the average, you know? Most, right. most run at a loss and some are a hit. Just like all the posers writing music demos right now compared to all the people on the top 40 hit list, right? Some are getting rich and most are funding it with their day jobs. And so even though it's a little bit kind of like old dude talking, why not put a little bit more time in making that day job awesome? Like, you know, doing something sort of at least re related, tangentially related to what you love to do. And then leave the what you do, which for me is making video games, as you could almost call it the hobby, my passion in life. But imagine if I was an oil painter and I loved to paint uh, landscapes and I wasn't much of a marketer and I almost never had any art shows, but I don't have to because I'm actually painting because I love to paint. And then you got your day job working at an office or whatever, and it lets you have that wonderful time painting. Then you never have the stress of, oh no, the reviewers aren't giving me four star reviews on my painting. Oh, how do I get this to more press? I might need some more reviews on my painting. No, you're just like, wow, last weekend was awesome. I painted this painting. I had such a good time. Now I'm going to work this week and fund the next painting. <laughs> and so you can just hang it on your wall or put it in your closet. And that's kind of what I do nowadays with game dev. You know, I make lots of game jam games. And I don't give a damn if they sell. That's a, I think it's a great perspective to have, you know, I think it's easy to get caught up, you know, especially uh, in the last several years uh, with like all the hype around indie games. You know, you see one, two man studios working on a game for three to five years and then hitting it big on Steam and yep. making hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. And, and a few do. And you can too. Like it, it's not impossible. It's imp no, improbable. Right, yeah. and, but understanding that and then understanding how game dev fits into your own life is important, right? Because no, not everybody has the circumstances to you know, pay themselves nothing while they go into a hole for several years and make you know, I've, the next I've done hit. that and, in my life. I've, I've literally gone through times where I'm like, okay, thank goodness I got that kind of annoying well-paid contract out of the way. Now I'm going to just pour myself until the next gig comes along into just my game. And I always have this plan that, oh yeah, I'll totally be able to finish it before the money runs out. 
and that isn't generally how it turns out. <laughs> Usually the money runs out just a little bit before the project's done, slash when it's only 10% done. It's um, very right. familiar. Harkening back to Familiar's Guild. It's it, familiar feeling is what I'm calling it now. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> Familiar's Guilt. Yeah, yeah, familiar's Guilt. Oh my God, why am I not? Yeah, that? that's brilliant. right. Okay, you are brilliant. You're brilliant. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That, that was, that was great. That's our, that's, that was my That was my first on. good pun in years, honestly. Oh my God. I am, I'm, that's what I'm going to actually call that project from now on as I cry into my alcohol and drown my sorrows. <laughs> familiar's Guilt. Oh God, what have I done with it? But look, guys, Excellent. the nice thing is, is, you know, once you start making a lot of games, even if you're not selling them, the business opportunities for game-like employment come around. And for example, one of my side gigs now, and I work on it every single day for one or two hours only, is helping out with the Thimbleweed Park team. You know, Ron Gilbert, the guy who made Maniac Mansion and um, Monkey Island, and uh, they do, they're doing a point-and-click adventure game. It was a successful Kickstarter a while back. And I'm, I'm just a little side player on the team helping to find bugs, helping to crash the thing, you know, submitting all sorts of bugs in their uh, fog bugs database. And it's a wonderful video game industry side gig that I can just rely on, right? And, and you know, it's, it's nothing super fancy and I'm barely even going to be in the credits, but it funds these wonderful little game jams on the side and the fact that I can, after I talk to you guys, make myself a little lunch and you know, go down to the beach <laughs> and look at the ocean for a while, come back, do some emails. It's a lovely life. I'm not getting rich, but I've carved a little way of surviving that for me is actually like, I feel really grateful every day. And I'm not a famous guy. I'm never going to be a famous rich game dev. I'm never going to be a Marcus Persian, you know, notch dude. Um, you know, I may not even ever put a game on green light. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, I aspire to, you know, so, but I still am surviving and here I am, you know, I'm 43. I've never had a real job ever, mm. right? I've, I've been able That's to, an achievement right yeah, there. You know, and so it's like, I'm, I'm a happy, poor hippie living in the forest and I, I recommend doing so to all my game dev friends. It's really nice. It's a great life. It really is. Careful. You might have that forest really crowded all of a sudden. <laughs> We all move into your forest and turn it into a city. I know. You know what? It'd be more like a hippie commune because it'd be just pizza boxes and Mountain Dew and people recharging stations, right? Um, that sounds great. I know. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm starting, I'm starting a hippie commune here in the forest. Game devs can come on over, bring their tents. Um, but uh, you got to help me build an outhouse first. It sounds like uh, the indie house where a bunch of... Uh, oh, like, this so is, I know. I've I heard, heard about that. just the one at first, and then I heard they were popping up all over the yeah. place where you know a bunch of indies who were trying to you know scrape by and all that, they would rent a house or something, and there'd be like maybe a half dozen of them under one roof. And how much so fun maybe, would uh, that be? I mean, not only... Oh, so fun. So inspiring, there, too. Right? Everyone would be encouraging yeah. each other to keep at it, too, right? So it'd be like, what did you do today? Show me what you did today. And having just that slight pressure of sort of friends behind you of standing behind your shoulders, watching what you've done each day, you would just go hardcore and you would dive in. At the end of it, you know you'd have something so much better than if you were just messing around by yourself without any pressure to show anyone any particular day. That social, and I, I don't even like to call it pressure, I'd, I'd call it encouragement. You know, the social encouragement of peers who are on your side to bounce ideas yeah. off of for a short little time off, you know, you're practically disconnected. Um, you know, you're off in the forest, sure, you know, game dev needs electricity and all that but uh but it but in a way i think you know that's the kind of thing that it, it appeals to me so much 
um, I think it's a great idea. And it's almost like a retreat, you know, <laughs> a corporate retreat. No, think... don't call it a corporate retreat. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a great, I, I can see uh, being it's very productive thing. for people. Yeah. I think that one of the things that it highlights is just uh, how important it is to immerse yourself in something to really make progress. You know, like when you fully commit to, you know, I'm going to live in this house with these other people and we're all doing games, you've set yourself up for success. Maybe not, I agree. you know, yeah. no, I team meet level success, but it's the kind of thing where like, you know, it's, it's like almost like fake it till you make it, you know, like we're all going to do this. Yeah. We're all going to help each You're other. We're going to encourage each other. You're maybe yeah. a gang of bedraggled like rapscallions, uh, you know, <laughs> just living in some abandoned house to begin with. But it's a lot easier. It, it, isn't, what's the expression? It's dangerous to go alone. Yes. So it's so true, right? You know, <laughs> gathering around other developers like you, Matt and Jeff, who I'm trying to gather around me and get to know better by doing little things like this, that really does have an effect on all of us because we, we actually want each other to succeed, you know? And, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I think it's, it's legitimate and, and sincere too in that by connecting with other people who are also doing the same types of things as you and who are also aspiring to the same sort of things as you it becomes a team mentality where we high five each other and we give each other free experience points on our stupid little websites um <laughs> but it is a way of gathering like-minded people who are going to give a shit about you it's nice it's, I was it's say, nice to have people around who care about you you know yeah like one game a month is basically a virtual indie house yeah it really is you know? it's the best i could manage <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's, it's the $0 indie house and there are no real rules and that's why. And it's really just meant like, Hey, do you want to go on like this little adventure quest with me? Because it, it's tough and lonely to do it all by myself here. And just getting some other people along on the journey, it's, it's not just to fill the hours with conversation. They bring something to the table that is their skills and their great ideas and their time. And it's, it has a real value that, uh, oh, that I, I can't even it overstate, does. you know, and, and just doing things like this, you know, putting out a podcast and listening to the people who care about what you make on your forums and on Twitter and stuff. You don't just do it for yourself. It's not some selfish, like if I massage our Facebook group, we'll get more fans so we can sell. It's also, you know, if I help game dev, my game dev neighbor, sure, my game dev neighbor will help me, but we both sort of end up being more successful because of it. Because it's like, it's all so cheesy. I really am such a crazy hippy dippy tree hugger, aren't I? It's, it's this community circle of love. It's, it's the circle totally of love you, in game dev. And it, I, I can barely say it without putting on an accent, like as if I'm ironically saying it. But it's true, isn't it? Accent required. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, no, it's only because I was embarrassed, you know. But the truth is, I, I really do believe it, is that that group, um, I don't know. It's like just knowing that there are people out there who are rooting for you really does make yeah. you do better work and you'll treat yourself better if you know people want you to treat yourself well as well um so yeah you know it's dangerous to go alone don't don't just disappear embrace other game yeah. devs show up at meetups go to game jams talk about game dev on twitter and suddenly you have you've forged yourself a little bit of a uh, social safety net um beyond just family and friends who happen to live within walking distance um, and it's people that understand even more deeply what you're going through because they have the same aspirations. So my, you've joined a guild. Yeah, you know, my grandma doesn't really get, you know, my angst <laughs> about optimization. 
Um, but right. but she still does care a lot. And so to find other people that care in, in other facets of my life, that's where I reach out to these little things. And so I guess you could say, like a lot of things we do, in, but for the same reason you do Lost Cast and the same reason that I do one game a month, it's our way of almost uh, dipping our toes in the torrent of people swimming by and trying to catch some of them in, in a net. But what you're trying to do is gather them to you and say, hey, you know, like, let's let's hang out together. <laughs> I'm just looking for friends. That's really all it is. Yeah, I'm so lonely. I'm really just looking for friends. <laughs> You know, uh, but we so, see that a lot with uh, with Lost Cast, where people will say that like uh, like they'll email us and they'll be you know I've been listening for a long time, but I I want to make games so bad and I haven't really tried. I was reading this Unity tutorial and it felt like it was over my head and stuff. And we say this on the podcast a lot, and we tell them this too. You know, just listening is much more than most people do. You know, and it does it fires you up, yeah, it educates you in some ways. Like, you, you, you know, like just being you're kind of like with real people. Yeah. You're around the campfire, yeah. and the campfire oh, yes. is game dev. That uh, <laughs> see, I brought I brought it back, right? You're a master. <laughs> you've done years this. You've of done podcast this, experience you've done right this 177 here. 177 times because that was truly masterful, and I'm, I'm not even I'm joking. It, that was beautiful. It shows. But it's true. That's that's the that's that communal campfire of game dev that we're laughing, yeah. but we totally mean it. It's this circle of let's guys. I think we should sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> Kumbaya, yeah. Yeah. game dev, yeah, game dev rules, my friends, game dev rules. Let's make games, yeah. yeah. But uh, for sure, I think we all mean it, and that's that's the beautiful thing is, is you know, like, we're is. laughing, and yet it's funny because it's true. It's true, we're, we're pretty serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we really totally love making games. Yeah. So something else I wanted to talk yeah. about was, uh, and actually kind of feeds right into this conversation about community and helping each other. Um, is Jesse Freeman, who yes. is someone we've had on the show before. Yeah, he, um, he is a game dev, very cool guy. He's the best and, connected uh, guy I've ever met. Every time I talk to he him, is, he like throws clients with money in their pockets onto my lap for free. <laughs> it's like it's like this Excellent. silver platter falls out of the out of the sky. It's he's a he's been a lot of fun to work with, and I've also collaborated with him once or twice on some projects. Yeah, so I was interested in. It seems like you're collaborating with him on his, uh, like, what Pico Vision Eight? Is that what it's called? It's called Pixel Vision Eight, and Pixel and Vision. It is. Yeah, it's a retro console game development um, suite of small tools that all run together. It's inspired by things like Pico Eight, or you know, little those those types of game maker. Uh, I guess you. Could, there's another one called um, Super Jamicom. Yeah, Super Jamicom coming out. Little things like that. There are these, I guess, you like fantasy game consoles. And he, hmm. he's been at it for a long time. And the stuff he's shown me just blows my mind. And he's actually running multiple virtual machines inside Unity that adhere to these strict technical lim limitations that are inspired by things like, you know, how many sprites on screen the NES can have and, you know, limited color palette and, of course, very low resolution. And it's got a Lua interpreter, so you can write little code. Um, and it has all sorts of nice little tools. And it's the whole UI is done in pixel art um, by uh, Saint11 on uh, Twitter. I can't remember his name now, but a very talented pixel artist. And so by combining forces, he also pulled me into the mix because he's like, hey, Krister, you're the only game dev that I know who's also a musician. Are you interested in doing the sound side of things? Because I want to do... A, a retro music tracker inspired by old school Nintendo um, music, like Super Mario Brothers theme song, and also by the demo scenes sort of mod music community from back in the day. 
And I'm like, oh yeah, I used to I used to use all that stuff way way back in the day. That's how old I am. I'm very interested in that stuff. And because I'm a musician, um, I had the the knowledge of music theory to be able to dive into something really really cool. He had the idea of, hey, look, procedural content generation. It's the shiznaz right now, right? Like everyone's talking about it. It's great and it's good for indies because you can get a lot of content for minimal amount of work um, by fractally creating your worlds. So what if we could make a procedural music generator? And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, this is exactly the kind of mind candy that I love to, to think about and program. So I dove right in. I tore apart the C-sharp port of a, of a sound synthesis toolkit that many game devs know called SFXR. So SFXR yep. is one of those things that can make little bleeps and bloops that sound like, you know, Super Mario you're jumping or collecting a coin or whatever. Um, and you can also randomly create them by mutating sounds and it sort of just uh, changes like a hundred little dials and out you get these little sounds. So what I did is I started to hack it to figure out how you could change the frequencies of the waveforms it's generating to match a proper tempered musical scale. You know, so middle C is, is so-and-so hertz um, and, and you, know, you make it like a piano keyboard so you can trigger these samples and, and make them actually in tune. And once I started doing that, then I started making little arrays, just constants, because I know what you know the patterns are of, okay, this is what a major scale is. This is what a minor scale is. Here's a major chord, a major seventh, a minor seventh. So once you start, if you know a bit about, you know, I don't know if either of you have ever taken music lessons, but if you've taken piano lessons or something, and you hear little things like the circle of fifths about how the modes of the major scale, you know, the white keys on the keyboard of a piano can be mixed together in certain ways, so they sound nice together, you know, and you know how like how a, a major scale or a major chord sounds happy and a minor scale or a minor chord sounds kind of ominous and sad. So I've, I've been lucky enough on this, on this little partnership here um, on Pixel Vision 8 to be working on a procedural music generator that makes songs, complete songs, randomly, but it's not real random. It's not just like noise with all these dissonant notes that sounds like a computer. They follow the, the scale and chord progression rules of, of typical sort of Super Mario Brothers inspired patterns and shapes to kind of sound real, you know? And so you'll be able to generate infinite music that's, you know, Super Mario-esque. And uh, so, that's, so that's a fun project for a guy like me who's a programmer and a musician. It's, it's kind of like the exact thing that I would love to be working on the most. So I've really been enjoying that's that. That's cool. And I'm currently working on it even this week. Excellent. Man, I yeah, love audio like and I love uh, like the web audio API is a lot of fun to use. I, I really wanted to make like some kind of a, a tracker or some kind of a DAW yeah. in the browser. But oh, uh, I think it's one of the reasons we called our company like Lost Decade Games is to help me focus on that kind of a thing. But man, the tooling is fun. And like, I really just miss, I miss the music part so much because I used to be, you know, well, guys, I say the, used to. But the music in your trailer, myself. who did the music in the Soul Thief That's trailer? all... Joshua Morse. Oh, yeah, so we, we go to him for so... all of our music now. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He I, honestly, I might get back. I might have gotten back into the music if we didn't have Joshua. You know, but like he's so fast, he's so eager, he's so willing and so prolific. He's so that, talented. Like, I was listening to it just so before good. we talked today. Just I was like, <laughs> I love it. Just watching sort of the the recent trailer and stuff, and I was like, oh, that's really good. And of course, then I started thinking, hmm, now how can I? What kind of patterns is that using? Oh, okay, okay, How, so that's a minor what pentatonic. Can I borrow from that? It's a minor pentatonic, so if I do a little shape like this, I'll be able to generate songs like this. I mean, imagine if, <laughs> imagine eventually going the line of, like, using massive parallel computing to sort of deep mind music. You know, mm. you know how they've eventually made it so that you can make art in the style of Van Gogh? 
right? And it looks right. like Van Gogh paintings. So I can imagine a time someday, maybe I'll have to be the one who does it, where you could say, <laughs> make music in the style of Justin Bieber, go. And, right. and this random algorithmic looking at 100,000 similar songs and mashing it together, could it ever make anything good? Usually, of course, it'd be crap. But with enough people listening and giving the songs ratings, sort of uh, training it in an evolutionary mm -hmm. al algorithmic sort of way, I wonder if version, you know, version 100 could actually produce, like, air quotes, good song, you know? Um, and it's a fun, it's a, it's fun so. mind candy. And when you think about it, I mean, like people say, pop music, there's really only like five or six chord progression shapes that, right. that, that appear over and over and over and over and over. And of course, there are always exceptions to all that sort of stuff. I mean, art, right? The, the rules are meant to be broken. But the cliches ring true for a reason. And it's not just that they're cliche, but because they're the shapes and feelings that people like on mass when you look in big picture only. And by really getting into that, especially if you had a huge data set, like Apple could do this. Um, I think they could make a music generator. You say, okay, I would like a uh, top 40 pop uh, love song um, that's uh, very anthem-y. And it'll make like a pop anthem. I really do. I think it'll start to happen. And yeah. uh, musicians may or may not be happy about it. But I mean, art, artists, <laughs> artists love procedural generation. I don't see a lot of artists worried about losing their jobs. It's more like they'll use those as tools to, e yeah. to either make lots of content really easy if they're a beginner or to use it to make their content even more complex and outside the norm and say okay yeah right. your cliche random music is nice but here's my handcrafted non-cliche music beat that suckers you know yeah um, so i don't th i don't think it's going to threaten artists as much as it'll be something that i predict looking forward in 10 years time people are talking about more and more um and and embracing it as like this procedural deep mind pop music I bet people will tune into, especially for, say, ambient techno, um, there could be just a, a random generator streaming radio stream, and I bet someday there'll be a good one that people like to listen mm. to. I would listen Absolutely. to that. Yeah. yeah. I, so would I. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm not like <laughs> thinking it'll stink and it'll just be like random beeps and boops. I think, you know, with enough sort of rules and iteration, you really could just stream, okay, quickly make a 10,000 hour MP3 file with lots of four on the floor. Um, a few breakdowns and uh, you know 120 beats a minute. Go do. It's like it would almost sound like the real thing. It might be a little soulless, but uh, people, of course, will always argue that procedural generation is is often like a lot of quantity with not as much quality as handcrafted, and that's to be expected. And that's fine. I know some people who feel like any electronic music is soulless. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. I don't feel that way, but uh, I, you know, I can see where they're coming from. Where it's not organic, it's not necessarily played with like real strings vibrating, played with real human fingers and that kind yeah. of a thing. But it's yeah, it's a gradient, right? It's a sliding scale. Oh yeah, and the same holds true, I think, in any kind of artistic medium. Once you start getting computers really involved, and uh, you know, do people maybe people nowadays, but uh, you know, ten years ago. You could have Photoshop art, and then you have a real oil painter who can sit down at a canvas and make a beautiful painting. And uh, the majority of people would probably respect the art of the hand-coded thing a lot more back then. Nowadays, I mean, right. a lot of talented artists are using pressure-sensitive tablets, and they're actually using you know, programs like Corel Painter that model actual like, globs of paint with like right. a physics simulation and of, of you know the watercolor paint actually seeping into the porous material of the paper and it's this, yeah. it's this beautiful gpu based simulation and it's like that's the same thing that's art, you guys you know yeah <laughs> and, uh, and so it's the same thing you know making these tools not only does it make total beginners be able to just hit a 
make song button, which is fun, right? Randomize, randomize, randomize. Oh, that one's good. You know, like yeah. that's a tool I want to I want to try. So that's why I'm working on building that. Um, so I have a question, guys. I don't have a name for that yet. Like, what should that music program be called? If it can generate infinite songs that are sort of Super Mario-esque with a little randomize button and a whole bunch of sliders, like I'm thinking about doing like, you know, how tense it is, how boss battle it is, how how slow it is, how fast it is, you know? But it'll still be that sort of chiptune style retro music. I, I haven't hmm. been able to come up with a good name. <laughs> we got chiptunes. Yeah. The project is called Pixel Vision 8? Yeah. Hmm. I'll think of something. Yeah, it could be like a f- fresh chip. <laughs> ship it. Throw some. Yeah, yeah. Ship it. Throw, throw some ship title. on the wall and see what sticks. You know. <laughs> but uh, I like it. But yeah, and I, you know what? I mean, generative music and this this massive quantity of easily creatable stuff is also um, ties back to our talk of even things like game jamming, where we're using ourselves, you know, our own efforts, but we're using these giant tools that are helping us skip steps from doing it hand coding from scratch ourselves. Um, and I mean, I just think it's fun how a lot of things that by scratch could take too long for a normal, we want a one or two person team to do can now be done really quickly. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to think that looking forward, I aspire to make more tools that game devs can Mm. use as well. Um, so this this is the first step along that way of kind of getting into tooling because uh, there's something about it that just inspires me. I want to, I want to be able to do randomized song. Yeah, there's a random song. Good. Then people can nice. use it I for think game there's jams. a lot of there's a lot of value in empowering other people. You know, oh yeah. Like in terms of the you're talking about the community and just the feedback from other people and and all that stuff. All those good vibes that you get from you know uh, basically boosting other people up so yeah. that they can realize their own dreams. Well, and I've always thought right? that, and I and it sounds like I'm calling people selfish, and I want to warn that I'm not. But, in, but that if something you have to share, you know, that you want retweets of, that you want shares, you want people to post about, um, if it's just about me, 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 you know, play my game, look at my thing, look at my awesome work, that's, that'll get one amount of, of shares. But if it's a, here's something you can benefit from, here's a tool that will help you, um, you can add a zero to all those numbers. It happens to me oh, every absolutely. time. If I tweet something just like, I'm making something for me, people are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's great, man. That's, that's cool. I'm, I'm happy for you. But if it's like, I'm making something to give to you to help you make so-and-so, oh boy, people love it. And so I think if you can make things that are useful to others for their own, kind of, quote, selfish reasons, um, you know, if, if you, what you produce can answer the question, what do I get out of this? to the reader when the reader's thinking that then that's that's a great way to find your stuff getting shared a lot and get a lot of favorites and a lot of clicks and a lot of downloads so um yeah you know we we should all make more stuff that other people can use in their games absolutely i think that that to me is one of the reasons that minecraft has been such a resounding success is because it empowers people to make their own creations right and people love it people are by at nature very creative you know people love to create and people love to build stuff and uh yeah you know you you let people do that and you've made another lego Well, Christopher, this has been awesome. 
can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Oh, I'm, I'm proud to have talked to you, Jeff, Matt. You know, like, Lost, Lost Cast is the game dev podcast for me because of how consistent you've been over the years. And just oh, wow. keep up the amazing work, you guys. There are tons of lurkers on the side that you don't even know are huge fans of you. I'm one of them, and so are many other people I know. Um, so, guys, thank you. That's thank very you. Kind. I'm, I'm actually on, I'm honored that you invited me. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, we've talked about a lot of cool stuff that you've got going on. I just wanted to know if there's anything specific you'd like to plug. Well, how about this? Any listeners out there with fun ideas for a name for my chiptune, Ooh, my chiptune creation software that I'm making as part of the Pixel Vision 8 suite, please tweet me ideas, and because uh, I, I need ideas and I love the feedback. So give me a give me a name. What do I call this thing? Excellent. And you are. At McFunkyPants on Twitter. That's right. Yes. Links coming up in the show notes. <laughs> awesome, you guys. Well, thank you again. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. I've just been sitting here yeah. sipping coffee, and uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's been really nice for me because uh, you guys are really smart guys. It's kind of fun to kind of fun to bounce these ideas off of you guys. I'm I'm leaving this conversation with more ideas for my own projects now, and all this <laughs> extra enthusiasm, just like we talked about, like for real, you know. So I feel motivated. So thank you. Any day with coffee and game dev talk is a good day. I know. I agree. That's very true. I agree. That's very true. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Chris, once again, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, lots of show notes. Check out everything Chris is working on with those links. And as always, join us on the forum at forum.lostdecadegames.com. Ship it. One Mick Funk a month.